your home is more connected than ever. So when one kid is schooling the competition, got it. The other is getting schooled. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And you're streaming a webinar for work and the latest episode of your favorite show at the same time. Shh. Your Wi-Fi needs to be able to handle it. That's why Xfinity never stops working to bring you faster, more reliable Wi-Fi. So you can do it all, all at the same time. Xfinity, the future of awesome. Learn more at Xfinity.com. Live from Southern California, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Brought to you by MayorsManner.com and the fourth period. Introducing your host, born and raised in the city of angels, the mayor, John Hovan. And originally from the Bronx, now hailing from Encino, it's D.B. Dennis Bernstein. Buckle up, here we go! Well, DB, there's only one place to go from here. I mean, when you get an intro from Bruce Buffer, uh, it's all about going up from here. And <laughs> Kings of the Podcast, it's about time, DB. The two mega powers collide, and uh, we're ready to do this thing, huh? I can't wait, John. It's going to be awesome. You know, we thought about this for a long time. And you know, do something, you want to do it right. Certainly, off the top, that Buffer intro was genius by you. You came up with that idea a couple of weeks back. Uh, you secured Bruce. Um, he did an awesome job. So, yeah, let's do this. Let's do it differently. Let's do it powerfully. Uh, let's jump right into it. Yeah, I don't think we need to really set this up. Uh, you know, your followers, my followers, <laughs> they, uh, they know what we're all about. Uh, we, we like to debate things. We like to talk about things. And uh, we really like to just really uh, look at the LA Kings organization uh, from a 360-degree perspective. And I think really the, this is the perfect time to launch this thing because yep. last Friday in downtown Los Angeles, the Kings put on their state of the franchise. And, you know, I'll be honest, DB, I've skipped a couple of these things because uh, in the past, at times, it's been a little bit more like a pep rally and, and <laughs> of an information gathering perspective and that's okay it just it you know it depends where the ebb and flow is uh, right. of the organization at that time but this was an important one everybody likes to look back at the state of the franchise when Lombardi put up the charts and the boxes and everything and this was almost like that in the sense that there was a lot of information maybe even too much information for um, fans <laughs> that were in attendance to digest. Just look at the people that were on stage. You had the president of the organization in Luke Robitaille, a Hall of Famer. You had another Hall of Famer, the general manager in Rob Blake. Plus you had Glenn Murray, uh, Nelson Emerson, a whole host of people. But uh, I, I just want to get this out right, of the, right out of the right out of the gate here, DB. Yeah. I want to let you know, my MVP of the night was senior vice president Jeff Solomon. Now, now most fans don't know him, or if they do, he's the contract guy. Right. But my point here is kind of twofold. One, he had to follow Todd McClellan. This guy is yeah. a leader. He has a commanding presence on stage. Let's call him the anti-Willie, if you will, okay? Absolutely. And uh, my, my second point is he didn't have his briefcase with him. Now, fans not, might not understand that inside reference there, so I'm going to break it down, DB. One of the things yeah. that you and I like to do is we like to take – fans behind the curtain, show them some of the behind the scenes stuff. You and I have had this inside joke going for about the last season or two. Uh, let, let me leave this at the stage. When you're waiting for them to open the locker room after a game, uh, media is sort of standing around, the door is closed, and there's a parade of Kings management that walks by from, right. you know, Rob Blake to all sorts of people. And Solomon walks by every night, and he's the only member of Kings management that carries a briefcase. Every single <laughs> night, this guy has a briefcase. And it's been driving me insane. I would pay cash money to know what is inside that briefcase. <laughs> I've never seen this guy without a briefcase. And then all of a sudden he walks on stage at the state of the franchise without a briefcase. And my first thought, and I turned to you and you laughed because you knew where I was going. Where's the briefcase? Yeah. Who's watching it? I needed to know. I don't think we have the answer yet, but uh, th that was just some of what was happening to, to, to set the night off. And, you know, and we did when... ask Solomon what's in the briefcase. We put it to him. <laughs> And he would not disclose, he would not divulge no. what's in the briefcase. It's like Mission Impossible no. with Tom Cruise. It is. And, 
and you know what? I think that's my goal. Uh, for the Kings put up on the on the screen, DB, that their motto this year was "Do your job," right. which I think is fantastic. I mean, it's right to the point. Do your job, whether you're the coach, the GM, the players. You know, it doesn't matter. Do your job. I think my personal motto is going to be find out what's in the briefcase. That's my goal <laughs> this year. That's so a big have, goal, though, you know, man. 80, that's well, top secret you know, stuff I in there. <laughs> I have 82 games and and and, and a training camp to work on this, but uh, uh, Jeff Solomon, I know you're listening right now. Just know I'm coming for you, buddy. I need <laughs> to know what is in that briefcase. All right, so um, here's the deal. There, there, there was a whole night of information that was presented to season ticket holders. Uh, you and I both tweeted out a bunch of that, including some pictures of, of the charts and graphs. And then after the fact, we were able to go backstage, had a conversation with Rob Blake first, then, uh, then with Todd McClellan. We're going to play some of those clips today. You and I are going to sort of discuss yeah. them, break them down, and dissect them. So, so why don't we just start with this? The first clip here is from Rob Blake. Um, I asked him db which or which player or players had he spoken to the most over the summer uh, brownie probably uh mainly because brownie's around a lot too um but but i have a lot of talks with uh brownie and kopitar and, and drew probably those are the three that uh that i that i probably relate the best to um mm-hmm. maybe because i played with, with with two of the three and and drew maybe the same position and different things we have a, a real good relationship but those are the three i probably go through a lot i'm assuming also it was by design that brown was the name that was mentioned a lot with Kopitar. Yeah, I'm not sure Todd, when he said number 23, meant that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure he even caught it himself. But no, uh, yeah, no, like I said, Brownie's been through, he, he's been through this, the, the whole thing. You know, he, he came in here at a, a certain era of his career. He was one of the young kids and, um, you know, Todd referred to the marathon, but, but Brownie's gone through it and uh, we expect him to, I, I thought he competed very hard last year for us. And if, if that's what, we hold real high standards in and that he was real good for us in that aspect. Now, DB, I had two sort of reactions to this, two, two takeaways, if you will. Number one, it furthers the case that I've been building over the last couple of years that Dustin Brown has reestablished his place in the organization. I, I've tried to tell everybody he's not going to be traded on Rob Blake's watch. Uh, you know, obviously his, his number is going to be retired at some point, but Blake gets it, he understands it, and, and he's paying respect and tribute to Dustin Brown uh, in his comments here and everything he's said or done since taking over as the general manager. So Brown has reestablished his, his, his place in the organization. And number two, I think that his comments there really speak to me about who the core of this team is. It's three players, and those are kind of right. the three untouchables as we move forward. It's Dustin Brown, Kopitar, and Drew Doughty. Everybody else is up for discussion, as we'll sort of talk about tonight on the show. Uh, th- those are my two takeaways. What about you? Well, it's curious, Jay. Um, you know, I wonder at some point if Jeff Carter was traded, if Dustin would be willing to, to put it on a sweater. And that's what I wonder. And, and, you know, I have a very good relationship with the guy. He, he is, like, when he wants to be vocal, John, he can be vocal. It's as simple as that. And when his words do carry weight, and I know people have wrapped him when they won championship. He wasn't a good captain. He's not this charismatic leader. Well, you know, Steve Eisman is not a charismatic leader, yet he led the, the charge with the Red Wings for a long time. Even Jonathan Taves doesn't speak very often, but when he does, his words carry weight. Now, Kopitar is a captain. That's not going to change, but I couldn't agree with you more. This is a vital part of the team. Um, he really sets the tone. Even behind the scenes, he does. He's not the most vocal guy. He doesn't like the public eye, but I couldn't agree with you more. This is a, a component of the team. This is the backbone of the team. You always re- uh, mention about having uh, the King's uh, tattoo on his butt. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's Kopitar, Dowdy, and Brown as well. Yeah, and, and I think to your point there, DB, it doesn't really matter who's wearing the letter. I mean, Jarrett Stoll was one of the vital leaders right. in that locker room. Willie Mitchell, uh, Matt, well, Matt Green did have a letter, but, you know, not everybody uh, who's a leader in the room and is respected in the room has to wear a letter. Leadership comes in many forms. So, uh, yes, while I think, you know, it would be great and it would be symbolic if, if, uh, if, if, down the road, Carter is traded and Brown gets that A. I think it, uh, it might be short-term and mm-hmm. or it might not even be the right move because some of these kids that are coming right. in that, that they were drafting and they're bringing into the organization specifically because of their leadership qualities, sure. well, in addition to their skill, of course, it might be time to start to lay the groundwork um, so that it's not as jarring at some point down the road because let's be honest, Kopitar's not going to be the captain forever. Nobody right. ever is. At some point, a new player is going to come in and wear that C, and I do agree with you that, uh, you know, 
for those that love Brown, you can't go back to putting the C on him. And for those who want to no. diss Dustin Brown, that's where I just lose interest in talking to people. I'm willing to debate a lot of different things, but Dustin Brown means so much to the LA Kings organization, and it's it's been proven. And the people that know, that need to know, they know, and that's good enough for me. And, um, yeah, not only that, but Kopitar wants the help in the room, number one. Number two, you know, Drew, we know Drew, we love Drew. Just wind him up, he starts talking. You need that 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 mentoring, stabilizing force like a Dustin Brown, and also a guy that you didn't mention, but I'm sure we'll talk in the future about, is uh, Kyle Clifford, another guy who's, mm-hmm. you need these leaders, and I agree with you, John, it's, the, the letters are symbolic, right? They mean mm-hmm. something, but they don't mean everything. So when you have a guy like Brown and Clifford, you need these guys to mentor a slew of kids that are going to be coming through this organization the next couple of years. Well, just go back to last year. Dustin Brown uh, is out for the first 10 games of the year. And when he come, and, and right as he was coming back, so many of the players, including Drew Doughty, who's a defenseman, not even a forward, talks about the lack of Brown on the bench and what that meant yep. to the start of their season. So whether he's wearing a letter or not, that right there speaks to what he brings. And then you look at the competitive spirit that a guy like a, a Jonathan Quick brings. And obviously as a goaltender, you know, he's not wearing a letter. But let's yeah. move on here. We have, we have a lot of clips, uh, DB, and want to share a lot of stuff with our listeners. This next clip here, uh, you asked Rob Blake about the lack of moves over the summer and sort of the timing of the changes that we all keep talking about that are coming to the roster. Here's what Blake said. When you talk about transitioning this team, yep. right, on the face of it, there's only one major change. You bought out Dion, yep. Yep. and everybody's still here. So yep. the yep. timing of it, what, what yep. do you think is well, really going to happen? Well, with if you took it, but that's kind of yeah. what I wanted to show. So oh, oh, 17 draft. Now, now, those guys are just turning pro now. So, so you speed this process up two years ago. Those kids aren't even pro yet. So you're going to have to fill those spots anyway. We, we've kind of known the direction that we were headed. Like I said, we want to remain as competitive as possible. I think getting in the playoffs that year, um, uh, with, with 98 points, uh, you know, th- those guys have been able to do this year after year, and I wanted to make sure that you gave them every ability to do that again. And that dropped off completely to a point beyond that this year, and so we knew we had that process at hand, but uh, but protecting those picks and prospects the last couple of years, now they've turned pro. Now, now we also showed this, that's a, it, it takes a, a time before they're, they're in the NHL producing, and, and that's what we got to look forward to going forward. Now let's build on that one there just a little bit, Dennis, sure. because there's a later clip where he, I think it's a great question too. Does a hot start change things? Does it change the plan? Are they going to deviate? Are they going to be able to stick to the plan? And mm-hmm. Blake talked a little bit about what a hot start may or may not mean. If you focus is on transition to team, younger yep. players, but if the team started 13 and seven. Yeah. Does that no. change the paradigm no. here at all? No, our, our, our process is the same. It's going to be a very similar process as it was last year. I mean, you look at the, the number of draft picks, uh, the area of the draft picks, you, you look at the number of new players in the organization, I expect fully that that's the same process next year. And then after that, that's going to change a little bit. But then you, then you get into an aspect where you, you, you have, maybe you have too many left wings, you have too many right wings, you need a, a defenseman. Now you're able to move some guys around and do some things. We're not able to do that just yet. We, sure. we, we, we need another year of that building that prospect pool. All right, so a couple of things here, Dennis. The Kovalchuk signing, I just want to go back to it. I know it was a year ago, yeah. but at the time, there was a lot of discussion. And, and at the, you know, I tried to explain to people why I like the Kovalchuk signing better than trading for Jeff Skinner. And Blake sort of talks about that right there. Do you want to give up three assets to sign a Jeff Skinner mm-hmm. when you know that long-term, even medium-term, you're going to have to do a turnover of the roster? So you're going to need as many of those assets as possible. Or do you spend some money? which is a different type of asset, right? But do you just spend some money and sign a free agent, which is what you did in Kovalchuk? We all know it didn't work, but to me, the logic was still sound. And he talks there about the kids not being quite ready yet and that some of them might have to cook a little bit longer. I think the the one thing that sort of locks in all of this and, and, and teed up your question there is, although there was a lot of logic going on last summer, there also was a moment where the Kings were about to trade Tanner Pearson in a first round draft pick for Max Pacioretty. Now, that says more you're thinking about the today right. than you are about the future. And it, it's not so much the trading of Tanner Pearson, because I get it, you know, you can move an asset like that and you have other forwards that are coming behind him. But, man, trading that first-round draft pick in that deal, I think, really would have hurt. So it's a good thing that they ended up not doing that. But w- what do you think this means, just sort of big picture? Um, what's the plan? Yeah. We don't have to necessarily have to talk about specific players who will be traded. We're going to get into that, but just – your reaction to the big picture and, and the plan short term. Well, John, no, you've busted me over the fact of uh, my lack of patience. Like I wanted them <laughs> to chase 
Panarin. I wanted one because they missed out on the the top two draft picks. I wanted them to trace chase that elite player. Now that elite player might still be there in the organization. I don't want to bring up this name, but Gabe Velarde, if he ever, and there's some signs now that he's at some point going to be 100% healed, that would be the crown jewel. The drafts they've made have been great. I wasn't on board with with this process because I didn't think they were that far away, but I understand, I get it. Um, And I think the most salient point that Rob made was they need another year of prospects. So they're still not there. So this is going to be another difficult year. I would have preferred one really elite player at the top to be on top of the rest of the draft. And I will say this, this draft was wonderful. This could be, uh, other than maybe getting dowdy in 2007 or 2008, this could be the best draft ever. You look at the potential, you look at the different types of players they've got. So I get it. I understand it. I think the fans have to be ready for another 70 or 75 point season. I know Todd will improve the team. The question is that there's just not enough here. You know, and we'll talk about Kempe's, you know, soon enough, but you know, that he's the second line center right now. There's just not enough talent. Can it develop over time? Yeah. You're plugged into the to the prospects. You really like what's coming. I think this is a a better year because certainly they have a, the right guy at the top in Tom McClellan, and we'll get to him in a second. Um, and I, I see now, I see the plan. I, I understand it. I think it might take a little bit longer than they expect, but I understand it, and I'm more on board with it now. Now, if they go into next year's draft, and, John, I think that you'll also intimate that, you know, maybe they trade one of their big assets for another first-round pick, if they can go get that. If they don't finish well, and they have a top-five pick, would they be set up for the next three to five years? Yeah, I'm on board with you on that. I believe that they would be. But again, I think this is a difficult year, but I understand where the, where they're trying to get to in the next two or three seasons. Look, I disagree with you here a little bit, Dennis, because I think there's two sides of the house. I think there's the season ticket side, and every I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a genius to know that season ticket sales are down. Yep. Coming off of that disappointing year last year, coming off of you know a, a lot of angst amongst the fan base, people didn't renew their season tickets, yep. and they're going to have to rebuild that. Uh, even Kelly Cheeseman talked about that uh, at, at, the, at the State of the Franchise as well. So it's going to be a work in progress. But if you're trying to sell season tickets, then you go out and you get a big-name free agent. You get somebody that you can sell. Because as mm-hmm. much as fans might love Kopitar, Brown, and Dowdy, it's really hard at this point because you've been selling them. You've been banging that drum for, 10 for years. You know, the better right. part of ten, for, yeah, 10 years now. <laughs> so it, you, know, you, you need some freshness. You need some mm-hmm. newness. But this was the wrong summer to do that, Dennis. You're yeah. saying to be more competitive, to be better. They don't want to be competitive. They don't want to be better. If you're playing for a top five pick, this is the best scenario that can be laid out for this year. You get off to a better start, and it can't be any worse, right? You get off to a better start. Uh, with well, they're Tom not firing a coach after 13 more. games, right? So. Well, you better, let's say, you better get off to a better start. You, right. you know, Todd McClellan better be, uh, you know, better than, than, than Willie was. And Kopitar and Dowdy and everybody else, they, need, they better be better than they were, uh, mm-hmm. or better than they were last year. So you get off to a better start. The best hope, though, is that these guys that are going to be traded, and again, we'll get into it. I, I, I hate to keep teasing it, but yeah. the guys that are most likely to be traded, you move those guys a couple months into the season. Sure. Unfortunately, I think it's going to create more ink. Bad start is the, is the worst thing that can happen to this team, and it's the best thing that can happen. Right. And, this, and by the same token, a great start is the best thing that can happen to this team and the, the worst, worst thing. That's why they're in such a terrible position right now. If you get off to a great start, that's wonderful because you're building trade value for some of these guys who you're going to move. It's a bad thing because those fans that are optimists are then going to buy back in. They're going to be excited. And then when you trade some of those guys, they're going to have the same reaction when they traded Jake Muzzin. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, you're sabotaging the team. What a terrible general manager. They're not going to see or, or want to see the big picture. Yeah. On the other side, mm-hmm. if you get off to a bad start, it's just throwing gasoline on a raging fire that's still burning from last year. <laughs> and those pessimistic, cynical fans are going to be pointing to it again and saying how terrible it is. And the room is going to be looking at each other going, okay, well, it wasn't the coach. You know, uh, it, it's us again. And, and, and it's a good thing at the same time because it's going to keep their point value down, keep them lower in the standings and set yeah. them up for a top five uh, you know, pick again next year. So yeah. it's the best of things and it's the worst of mm-hmm. things. Um, I, All right, let, uh, we've had some Blake. We're going to have some Blake m- more later in the show, but let's get to Todd McClellan. You know, I mentioned that the anti Willie, the, the, you know, commanding <laughs> leader, if you will. This first clip is interesting to me. It's about how well does he know the roster? Todd, how much know- more do you know about this team than when you stepped to the podium in April and accepted the job? Um, I know more. I don't know if I'd use the word significantly more. Um, 
one of the things that I've tried to do as a coach is to um, ask questions, but really not in depth. I want to formulate my own opinion uh, of individuals and of players and combinations of players. Um, I think that's sometimes refreshing for the group and refreshing for individuals. It gives them uh, a new start. And uh, it also gives us, when I say us, I'm talking about the coaching staff, an opportunity to, uh, to evaluate and to, uh, to try and fit the pieces together, if you will. So um, I know more about the team, uh, but not significantly more. Uh, that will truly begin uh, training camp next week. All right, so he's still learning, he's still evaluating, he's still putting things together. Let's put a little more heat on McClellan here. What about the depth chart? There at least has to be a depth chart that's, that's been put together and he's you know, started the line combinations and stuff like that. What about the depth chart? Do you have a depth chart right now on your board? I do. Okay. Uh, I got an eraser and a marker and it seems to be working overtime. I move people around and up. And um, There are some players that I believe I know really well. Obviously the veterans that have been in the league for a while. Uh, there's young players that I know will have an impact on the team, not only now but in the future, and um, trying to figure everybody out. As I walk around the locker room and the, the players are back skating, I, I know some real familiar faces. Uh, there's other players that I've called by the wrong name already, uh, but that's going to happen. Um, I've got to get to know them, they've got to get to know me, and uh, look forward to that process. Okay, no, no truth to the rumor that he referred to uh, Dowdy as, as Brad Doty or <laughs> Kopitar as Kopador. Uh, that, that has not happened. We don't know who, which, which players he called. Not yet. We don't know who he called by the wrong name. <laughs> but let's keep, let's keep going with yeah. Todd here, DB, because let, let's group it into sort of three groups. We'll go through forwards and then defensemen and then into the goaltenders. So, so hey, McClellan, uh, what about Kopitar? Uh, let, let's, let's talk about McC- uh, Kopitar first, then we'll talk about Toffoli, uh, because I think those two might, might be paired together here. Let's start with this, this clip about who's going to play with Kopitar heading into training camp. You talked about liking pairs, so who's paired with Kopitar right now in your mind? Well, you know what? That is still up for discussion as the rest of the coaching staff gets back. Um, there's some obvious um, candidates that have played there before. I think of Dustin Brown and, and their... Uh, their relationship as players and how they've uh, been able to succeed and, and uh, have good years, but there's also been some downtime between the two of them. So uh, right now he's a guy that could be penciled in there. I follow as a younger player, uh, but my question that I answered prior I think comes into play. We need a little bit of time to really figure individuals out. We might see something that other coaches haven't. Uh, that's what we're hoping for, and maybe we can find some new combinations that uh, will allow us to be successful. Ooh, new combinations. Let, let's <laughs> let's move along here, DB. New combinations. Here's an idea. Take the guy who's the pure goal scorer, Tyler Toffoli, <laughs> who should be penciled in every year for 35 goals. Maybe, McClellan, maybe put him <laughs> up alongside of Andre Kopitar. Maybe also increase his trade value, but, you know, we won't talk about that right now. Hey, Todd, what do you think about Toffoli? And before we go to Toffoli, I will tell you that Brown has no problem going over to the left side to make room for Toffoli. Even though he's been successful the last couple of seasons as a right winger, uh, I've been in contact with Brown. He'd be, he would certainly be amenable uh, to move to the left side. But let's talk uh, about Todd and uh, Toffoli. You mentioned Toffoli at, the, at your initial press conference and a little bit of a relationship there. But what, what's the, the going in thought process? Is it to put him in the best position possible to succeed, i.e. playing him with Kopitar, or to put him in a position where he's going to have to earn something. Well, I think Toff's got to put himself, or Tyler's got to put himself in that position, not me. Um, he's going to have to come in and have a real good training camp. He's going to have to lead the team in practice. Um, you know, he was quite vocal about uh, practices and, and the uh, commitment level um, at them. So I, I'm going to look at him to lead and to, to push the team and push himself as an individual. And uh, he'll sort out where he belongs in the lineup as, as we progress. But uh, my vision or my memory of, of Tyler Toffoli is 2015 at the World Championships and he was a significant contributor to that team and the success there. And uh, I know him that way, that's how I want to know him. Um, I've told him that already over the summer and I'll uh, meet with him again before training camp starts, but I think he's a very important piece uh, throughout training camp and throughout the season. Yeah, poor right, trade so piece. Full- <laughs> 
Yeah. It's, uh, we all want to remember Tyler Toffoli from 2015. I think McClellan is somewhat uh, of a, of a comedian, uh, an un- unintentional comedian at times. Yeah. Um, so, so according to McClellan, Toffoli is going to have to earn a spot. Now, speaking of earning though, DB, what about having to earn a contract? This is his walk year. He's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, we'll get into that, but first let's hear what Rob Blake has to say about that. Take that obviously day by day. Um, you know, I, I think he's got to play better than he did last year. Um, you know, and, uh, but uh, but I believe he holds holds himself accountable to that too. Uh, you know, and uh, a lot of that revolves around scoring and different things. But uh, again, I think some of those things will play out uh, later in the year as later we get year. to. Um, you know, we've had conversations. We just said, let, let, let's just see where we are. Let's see where we're at uh, come November, December, and January. When he's not on the team. <laughs> yeah. Well. To me, let's see how it plays out later in the year. DB, that's real simple. Um, let's look at the Jake Muzzin timeline and pencil it in for the Tyler Toffoli timeline right. this year because the idea is to see what kind of trade value you can get from Tyler Toffoli. But I, I want to ask this, though, DB. Yeah. Would you sign him to a long-term contract? And I say long-term contract for a reason. I think if you're the Kings, you wouldn't want to go more than about three years. There just have been too many issues over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. You'd want to give him a prove-it-to-me deal. And I think that if you let him get to unrestricted free agency, and his agent's going to tell him this, there are other teams out there that are going to give him a long-term deal. So if you're L.A., would you sign him to a long-term deal if he has an incredible start to the year and it looks like McClellan is pushing all the right buttons? See, and this, fans, is from a – the biggest backer and advocate of Tyler Toffoli all the way through. When I had my doubts, John said, no, 30-goal score. He's going to be a, a tremendous score. He's got all the skills and talent. So for John to now kind of reverse field tells you a lot about what this player has gone through in the last couple of seasons. I would not sign him to a long-term contract. I look at the development they have in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, with respect to their prospects. I think he is ultimately replaceable. And as off a season yeah. where he wasn't hurt and, and Kovalchuk outscored him. Kovalchuk scored 16 goals last year, didn't play the last quarter of the season to fully at 13. He cited bad luck, and yeah, sometimes it is bad luck, but the trend, and look, the season before, he had a cracked kneecap, so I get it, I understand it, but I, I would not, look, let's put it this way, John, I wouldn't give him a Vander Kane money. I wouldn't give him seven over seven. I think there's another op- there's other options in the marketplace, and John, you're right, if he starts off great, then great, That's that, there's the first round pick that you crave. Uh, give you two first-round picks in the second round. And I certainly think a contender uh, would probably look at them if he started off with maybe, I don't know, 10 goals in 20 games or something like that, where he was on a 30-goal pace. I certainly think he'd be much more attractive. But I agree with you. He's got to prove it, not only to internally to the Kings, but to prove it to the marketplace as well. You know what? I, I said I, earlier this summer, and I'll say it again, to me it's the eye test. You know, I, I don't need yeah. analytics on this one. It, it, it's Agreed. the eye test. I just don't like the body language and don't like what I'm seeing from Tyler Toffoli on the ice. I get the injuries. I get puck luck. I get all that sort of stuff. But I need to see the sniper. That's what he was coming up. He's a pure goal scorer. Yep. He might have been the best pure goal scorer that, uh, that Lombardi drafted during his time as the general manager. I think without a and, doubt, and John. Yep, agreed. It's, it was and For me... And I know it's easy to just paint with the broad brush here, but it was too much too soon. Him winning the Cups early in his career, having all that success, and now, you know, it's the Hollywood and it's the Dodger games and and Justin Turner. I love all that stuff, okay? But when the games are on, between whistles, I need to see a certain something. And this guy should have a lot of swagger with his talent, the chip that he brought on his shoulder after not making Team Canada at the World Juniors, and how he used that as motivation for the first couple years of his career, and what he was able to accomplish, and how he was able to grow as a player people knocked his skating and looking what what he was able to accomplish yeah. that chip's no longer there and and I, I as much as McClellan might bring to the team I just don't think that it's as simple as a coaching change that's going to push all the buttons and even if it does if I'm Rob Blake as difficult as it would be I just don't think that when you look at all the great contracts that he's navigated uh, in, in his you know, couple years as the general manager, I just don't think that he would have a logical explanation of signing to Foley to a long-term contract, which to me makes him expendable. But let's move on and talk about a couple of other forwards here, DB, before we get into some of the defense. Sure. Um, you mentioned Kovalchuk. Just, just where do you see him fitting in? What do you want to see from him? Um, any comments at all about Kobe? I think he's a third-line player at this point in time. You're probably playing with Pickle yeah. Horkin and... Uh, I follow, um, and you hope for the best. I, I think that, and Todd has mentioned in the press conference or after the uh, state of the franchise that he's talked numerous times to Kobe. He says, Kobe's got to be on board. 
You know, he's got a great life, John. Right? I mean, you know, we walk down the ramp before the games. There's his white Rolls Royce with the red interior parked on the ramp. So he lives in Beverly Hills. He drives to the games. He's getting $6.2 million for the next two seasons. And look, there were discussions last season about it wasn't working out. The Jardins was a disaster. Would he look at another opportunity? With a contender, he would. And I think that when he came back, look, you want to get paid. I understand that. He wanted to win. And I think he saw... Ovechkin and his legacy get fulfilled by winning a Stanley Cup, and I think that's part of the issue. Uh, he wanted to come back and win. His teammates love him. He plays very hard. He's a gym rat. So all the all the raps on, on this guy really isn't true. Like I've talked to enough players mm-hmm. to know that they they love him as a team. If he wants to win, the problem with him, John, and we've mentioned this, you and I have talked about this. He's a very unusual, unique player. He's not straight up and down the wing. He's very unconventional. And it's hard for a center, even like a Kopitar, to acclimate to his type of play. He's all around the ice. He's a freelancer. And that's hard to, in a structured system to be able to adapt to. So that's part of the issue. But I'd look at Kovey uh, as a third-line player at this point in time. He's going to have to accept that role, be happy in the role, take that money, even though it's you know first-line money, and be happy with the role he has. If he, if he proves himself and he... He comes out of the box really hot. Maybe you want to move him up, but I think that you have to look at the other players, John, and you keep mentioning it. You have to look at the younger players and develop them. You know, we've got at best two years, two seasons left with Kovalchuk. You have to make an allowance for the younger players to come through if they prove themselves and let them not have an opportunity to prove themselves at the NHL level. I'm going to call my shot on this one here, DB, and say he doesn't get moved until the offseason. I, I just think that for as bad as the team might be this year. Mm. Uh, I think that you're going to want him paired with Prokorkin yep. as sort of a, a safety net. Sure. And I don't think Kovey's the one pushing the issue. Would he like to go to a contender? Sure. In the right situation, he's probably willing to go. Those are the indications that, you know, that we've been given, yeah. but he's also okay getting paid and living in Southern California. So <laughs> I, I just, I don't think that he's going to be a trade deadline uh, type move. Perhaps yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe it is, but I think that it's going to right now, my, my gut tells me it's more likely next summer, the final year of his contract, somebody will be willing to take a and, gamble on him. And if the Kings have to eat money, that would be less money um, there as well. Well, one quick point, though. Yeah. We didn't uh, tee up the clip on this, but I, I actually asked uh, McClellan about his conversations with Kovalchuk, and one of my questions was, was there any discussion about the type of center that he needs? Because so much was made of that last year. Even yeah. John Stevens talked about it early during camp. And McClellan says that, no, him and Kovalchuk didn't have any type of conversations about the type of center or who he likes to play with and what he needs to be successful. So I'm curious to ask Todd that same question again as we get into training camp. Uh, because he said they're going to be going to lunch and having further discussion. So I'm curious if and when at what point that, that uh, conversation comes up and yeah. sort of what that conversation is all about. Let's I, talk about a few other players. Sure um, at forward, though, uh, Jeff Carter. <laughs> I'll let you start out. Where, where do you want to go with Jeff Carter? Uh, gee, look, he wasn't movable at the deadline. Um, he's a bottom six player at this point in time. Right. I mean, at this point in time, based on the Kempe contract, even coming through, you got to assume Kempe is going to start the season as your 2C. Um, will he play him? They have some flexibility. He can play wing. He can play center. If he ever revived his career and want and committed to playing hard every game, could he be a valuable asset to this team and move and trade? Yeah. The reason, John, and you and I were at the games last season, if you're a scout in the press box and you watch Jeff Carter play, could you recommend trading for the guy? I couldn't. No. Like, the effort wasn't there. And, it, and it's. It, sees, it sells itself on the ice. Now, you know, you got the death stare at the uh, end of the season press conference from Jeff Carter, you know, with respect to questions about his retirement. Um, but you got to hope the guy is a little bit more motivated. And again, John, let's go big picture. The, the best move they made in the last two seasons was hiring Todd McClellan, right? So I think that's going to help with the Kovalchuk situation you managed. Hopefully it helps with Carter as well. This is a professional coach who has structure, who will be respected in the room. And I think just, you know, it's kind of a you know, a rising tide lifts all boats situation. Hopefully that motivation that Todd McClellan brings to the room and the respect um, will help Carter. Um, I don't, uh, if I could move him with the first opportunity, I would. I just think his time is, has gone. He's done great things here. He helped them, a pivotal player in winning two Stanley Cups. His time has come and gone. The question is, does he want to continue to play if he traded out of Los Angeles? That is a legitimate question. Um, that's so that's when you trade him to a contender, like maybe he doesn't want to play in Nashville or there's other teams. That's the question. Is there going to be a landing point for Jeff Carter? I think that's the biggest point I have coming into the season. I can't see him finishing the season in Los Angeles. And if he isn't motivated, he isn't, if he isn't playing hard and not producing, 
I'd waive the guy, to be honest with you. I'd waive him, and hopefully you can get out from under the last couple of years of the contract where somebody thinks they can put him in a better winning situation, and he might respond. Yeah, I, I've, I've actually floated that idea to a couple members of King's management and, and didn't get the uh, hell no reaction that I, that I kind of expected. They, they understand that the options are limited. You yeah. know, at this point, they, they're, they're sobering up to the fact that there is not a market for Jeff Carter right now. And whether that motivation comes internally from Carter and, and what he thought about and, you know, over the summer, or whether it comes from Todd McClellan or a combination thereof, if Jeff Carter doesn't get going early in the season, I think you have to weigh them because I just don't think that you can continue to have that around when you're trying to reestablish a culture right. uh, if, he, if he's not going to be part of it. And McClellan sort of indicated that as well, that it's all about finding out who wants to go on this run up right. the hill uh, and that he's going to have to find those answers. And, you know, I, I can respect and appreciate the fact that he doesn't really want to be tainted by what others think and that he's going to have to sure. get those answers on his own. But I think when it comes to someone like a Kobolchuk and a, and a Jeff Carter too, you have to get those answers quickly. You can't let Agreed. it drag on. Uh, you know, you can't even wait until the trade deadline. You have to, you have to get those answers, you know, uh, 20 in, games in the in. first month or two of the season. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Lewis, uh, where, where do you go with Trevor Lewis? Last year of his contract, uh, ultimate team guy, great bottom six forward. Thoughts? Um, when you get a fourth round pick for him at the trade deadline, you move him. Simple as that. Yeah. Now, now, John, we could yeah. also throw your boy Carl uh, Clifford into the mix and have a you know a fourth line of Carter Lewis and Clifford. And there's been some there's been some chatter about that. So, but yeah, I, I think there, there has. <laughs> There, yeah, there has been some chatter. That's a, a, an odd line, um, <laughs> but okay. It had some. They did find some success together last year. Uh, I, I agree with you. Lewis is most likely going to be, uh, you know, for one of those mid-round picks, is going to be dealt like a Nate Thompson trade, trade, right? Like a uh, Nate, yeah, exactly. Like a Nate Thompson. And, and it's not. It's not a diss to Trevor Lewis. It's just that no. they have other younger players that are coming. They need to make room for them, and you don't want to waste an asset. Now, when it comes to Kyle Clifford. Uh, I don't ever think and he's an unrestricted free agent also, by the way, I don't ever see, I cannot envision a day when Kyle Clifford plays in the NHL wearing another team's Jersey. And, and I joked with this the other, uh, the other night I made this joke about uh, drawing a similarity to Jackie Robinson. Now I, I know their, their career <laughs> paths are different. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but if, if, you know, longtime sports fans know the story, Jackie Robinson, the ultimate LA Dodger, he was traded to the San Francisco giants uh, or the giants, I should say. And uh, rather than play for them, he retired. I could see a, a similar situation. I just don't see Clifford willing to play for another team. And what I think is because of the importance of rebound, uh, rebuilding the culture and what Clifford means to this team, especially to younger players, yeah. the presence that he commands um, and, and how hard he pushes and just what a great example he is. I could see Kyle Clifford coming back on a, on a one-year yeah. deal uh, next summer and, and playing one more season in Los Angeles and kind of taking it on a year-to-year -year basis. Yeah, agree, John. Forward. That's what I was just going to say, year-by-year -year basis. And look, the, give the guy credit. You, know, you and I had a campaign for him to win, uh, to be the nominee for the Masterton last season. Didn't happen. Jack Campbell mm -hmm. got it. And Jack deserved it for all the, the, the stuff that he's gone through. Uh, but Kyle has really become a mentor. He transitioned his game last year. He was actually a dangerous offensive player. He did all the things that this team needs him to do to stay with this team. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be like a, a Joe Thornton situation with him. I, I couldn't see him envisioning leaving Los Angeles. And I agree with you. I think it's going to be one year at a time he'll take it. Uh, but certainly... Uh, that again, at this point in time, when we talk about issues about culture and practice habits and all the things that we heard about last April before they, you know, named Todd the coach, I think that Clifford's a vital part of that to reestablish the winning culture they had here in Los Angeles. Hundred uh, percent. Let's talk about one more forward. We have to move on. DB Adrian Kempe, breaking yeah. news this week, signed that that three year contract that uh, I've been talking about for the last couple months. He's <laughs> finally in the fold. Three years. I had him projected at two and a half million. He came in a little bit lighter at two million. I like the deal. I think it's another strong move by Blake. He's been rock solid on the contract front. Um, kind of the anti Lombardi, if you will. Uh, <laughs> you think that this contract is current market value? and also sets up for something else down the road. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's an easy tradable contract. If they want to throw him in on a, on a large deal, I think it's great. Look, what do you have last year, John? 28 points? I know he's got all the potential. The problem is, John, we still don't know what position he can play. He's going to be slotted as a 2C, but if he's got 28 points as a 2C, he's not a 2C, and he's not being paid as a 2C. 
Is he a winger? Yeah. Well, probably, but his he, his game is in the middle of the ice, so that's why they play him at center. Um, that that's mm-hmm. the issue. So I have no problem with the three year extension. I agree with you on the contract. That's a great term. And John, if he ever becomes a fifty point player, that's going to be the best contract in the league, right? Mm-hmm. I just I just don't have the faith. I, I think at some point in time they'll move him, and I just think that there's more potential from the younger players that I see in the organization to take over his job. But uh, look, sign him. Get him in term. And the thing that you keep bringing up to me, John, you keep reiterating to me the one point, he's only 22 years old. I get it. I understand it. He's been in the league. So for- you do read my text messages. Totally, you're yes. letting the, the listeners know. You read my text messages. I don't ignore I all of them. text message yes. probably a hundred times. He's <laughs> only 22 years old. It's hard to believe. Yeah. He's only 22 years old. But this is his fourth year. He's, he's not in his ELC anymore. So that's the issue. That's the challenge. At some point in time, he's he has to. I, I see it, John. You see it in certain games. Like whenever they play Montreal, he's you know he's a seventy point scorer, right? If they played Montreal eighty two times a year, it'd be done. He'd be in the All Star team. He'd be rivaling McDavid for point production. So he's in the wrong division. Is he's what in the saying. wrong division exactly. They should trade him to Toronto. But uh, look, I, I right. can't. You can't beef that contract. I, I get it. And if he does at some point in time find the key to become a 50, 60 point scorer, then they have great value. So good for him to sign it. Um, I, I just need to, to see more on the ice this season. Yeah, and and I and you know what? I didn't plan on talking about Mario Kempe during the pod today, but I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and mention this. I, do I don't understand the signing of Mario Kempe. I think he's going to end up in Ontario yeah. and. What's the point? I mean, did you really do Adrian any favors? Like, Adrian has to see the writing on the wall. He has to know that the two of them aren't going to be playing together. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. All these fans talking about the Flow Brothers and, you know, <laughs> Kempe squared and all this stuff. No, there's no room for Mario Kempe in Los Angeles. They have too many forwards. John, if he makes is. the team. You're telling me Mario yeah. Kempe just took Matt, Matt Luff's job? Come on. Yeah. Come on. If he makes the team, there's a big issue. Big issue. In well, Short term, maybe not, because you have some waiver situations with some of these younger players, and you can give them a month to sort of, you know, really send the message that they have to prove it and drive some hunger and create some stuff. And, you know, fine, you can have a a Flo Brothers, you know, five-game audition, (laughs) but uh, whatever. Let's just move on. Don't make the T-shirt up, though. Don't waste time on the T-shirt. All I want to know is this. Just make sure that Mario is in the lineup when they play the Ducks because they can't seem to keep straight Adrian and Mario, as we learned last year. So it's going to be confusing when I'm tweeting out pictures of Mario and it's really Adrian. It's going to be very confusing for the Ducks announcing team. All right, let's, let's move on here. With enough of the forwards, let's get to the defense, DB. Yeah. Uh, Rob Blake had some stuff to say about the young defenseman and specifically Kale Clegg. Uh, let's hear what Blake had to say. Yeah. Uh, Mikey Anderson, Berkeley, all these guys are competing for spots. But uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say if Clegg hadn't, uh, actually, I know, <laughs> not fair to say, I know what was going to happen. Yeah. He's going to be called up the day later, but yeah. he broke his foot that night, <laughs> unfortunately. But, um, you know, a big thing for me was it, 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 it took a little while for Coach Stuthers to buy into Clegg. But, but I think what, what Cale did is he gained his trust throughout the year, and, and he, he really developed. Patience. Patience, yeah. patience. There's a lot of exciting things coming on defense. Ontario is going to be stacked on defense. Sean Dersey, Marcus Phillips, uh, Mikey Anderson, who, you know, he certainly has uh, been getting a lot of love on Mayor's Manor and the prospect rankings sure. and whatnot. Plus, Kale Clegg. I mean, they're just, it, it's, it's stacked. There's so many guys that are coming here. Um, plus, you have Sean Walker, Matt Roy. You just have to be patient, though, and that's why they went out and signed, uh, you know, what I would consider to be a, a lower tier UFA. But they added a little bit of depth there on defense. You've been tweeting out that there still might be one more defenseman coming. Mm-hmm. DB, uh, there's going to be some competition for that for that bottom pairing, no doubt. Yeah, and look, he's, he even mentioned he has to find out who can play in this league, and I think that's not only a an issue with the forward, uh, the defense, but also the forwards. Like, who can prove that they yep. can play at this level? And that's why this is, again, another transitional season because he doesn't – even the GM doesn't know, right? That that tells you a lot about the, where this team is going to land in the standings. There are so many question marks, John. And then he tells us that Derek Forward's not going to start training camp because of his back. Uh, Paul Ledoux had an, uh, an operation on his knee, and he's probably going to miss the first couple of days. So you're talking about two veteran defensemen. So that probably, John, you can agree or disagree, probably opens the door for Curtis McDermott to make the opening roster because he is he's not waiver exempt at this point. Yeah, when I put uh, when I put the, the the projected roster together, and it's up on Mayor's Manor, shameless yeah. plug, I know, but we'll do that all the time. But um, I, I put the projected roster up there. I have McDermott as the seventh defenseman, even with those guys healthy, right. largely because I just don't see them. Put putting him on waivers at this time. And I think another team would scoop up, would scoop him up um, r- right now. So uh, 
it's interesting though, but uh, Forbert and Paul Ledoux are both going to be UFAs. Yep. Well, I definitely don't see Ledoux on the team uh, past this year. Mm-hmm. Forbert with the right contract, perhaps, but he can't be Dowdy's partner, which is why I pose that question. Agreed. No, he can't. And, and but he's a serviceable defenseman on a fine contract. So people don't they don't for the people that don't like Forbert, you have to sort of reframe it. At two and a half million. Derek Forbert is a serviceable defenseman. He's yep. worth more than that on the open market right now. He's going to play 82 games, and he's a fine a defensive defenseman. But yeah. when you're pairing somebody with Drew Doughty, you're just expecting more of a Willie Mitchell, Rob Scuderi than you are expecting a Derek Forbert. Yeah, and that's a, kind of the issue there. He's a 4-5. So. And I'm going to throw in my plug now. Although the question was asked at State of the Franchise, and Rob brushed it off. Like, I still say that the Kings have legitimate interest in Ben Hutton. So we'll see how that plays out. I think Ben's just going to go where the money is. He's got multiple offers despite Rob's. And it wasn't a denial. It was just like, oh, we're looking at other options. And I get it. Look, my preference for this team would to be bringing the, the younger defenseman over. But you need a couple of veterans here, especially if Warbert. I mean, when I hear back with a defenseman, John, that's not good news for me. All right, not yeah. starting camp, having all that time off. That's not good news. So I think that's just an insurance policy, as you mentioned with Joachim Ryan, another third-pair defenseman. Uh, but yeah, I, look, here, here's the thing. I, I agree with you. I think in two years from now, and another good draft, like, you, again, you could see the potential at this point in time. So while it might be a tough season defensively for this team, uh, there's certainly talent in the pipeline that's going to hopefully develop and make this team into another solid defensive team it was a couple of seasons ago. Well, I think if they do sign him, that really is a, is a signal about what's going on with Derek Forbert's back and really how bad the situation is. Because w- when I put out the, the, the projection of the roster, I have, and, and forget the pairings, just the seven defensemen. It's, yeah. it's Dowdy, it's Forbert, yep. it's Martinez, it's Ledoux, it's Walker, it's, it's Ryan, Roy. and it's McDermott. You, you could bring up Roy, um, but you, you know, waivers are going to probably allow him to start the year in Ontario. Mm-hmm. But so if, if you do sign Hutton, then to me that really talks about what's going on with, with Forbert. Uh, it back, you know, more, more than anything else, because yeah. if Forbert's healthy, you really don't need to add anybody because you have seven, uh, if not eight or nine guys, you know, you, you still want to get Clegg into yeah. the lineup. He was due for that call up last year. He's going to get his games. Um, I don't think Mikey Anderson, I mean, he'd have to have a phenomenal camp. So as high as I am on Mikey Anderson, mm-hmm. I just don't see him making the team out of camp. That's not their MO. That's not their style right now. Right. They want kids to marinate. Mikey just turned pro. Yes. He's coming off back-to-back championships, uh, you know, at the NC2A level. Yes. He was the captain of team USA at the world junior tournament and had a phenomenal tournament. Um, but he needs some pro experience. So he's going to go to the American league and he'll spend some time with, with Mike Stuthers. All right, moving on DB. We've covered a lot of ground here. We have to talk about the goaltender. So just real quickly had to ask Rob Blake about the timeline for the goalie of the future, Cal Peterson. And what did they discuss during uh, contract negotiations? You know, we, we love him to battle and everything, but we, we know we have quick and we know we have Campbell and, uh, and Cal can, can still develop at the level by playing a lot of games in the American league. You know, if that's where he is, he got his taste there last year. Uh, part of it, we wanted to show Cal that we, we, we believe he will be the future coming in through here. And, and, and we want to make that commit to, uh, to him this summer. He is the goalie of the future. <laughs> it's not Jack Campbell. Again, not a diss at, at Jack Campbell, but they are right. grooming Cal Peterson to become the number one goaltender. He's the next elite goaltender to come through the Kings pipeline. And uh, we had him ranked last year in our, in our annual uh, prospect rankings. We had him ranked as the number one prospect in the LA Kings organization and uh, a, a bright future for Cal Peterson, but he is going to start the year in the American league. It's a very curious situation, DB, I think with, with Campbell and with quick, Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can go one of two directions. You can either trade quick this year or you can trade Campbell. And then Peterson comes in next year. So Peterson either splits time with Jack Campbell if you've moved on from Jonathan Quick uh, next season or uh, Peterson is the understudy to Jonathan Quick if you want to go a little bit longer with Jonathan Quick. We've watched what the Rangers have done with Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah. They held on to him rather than trade him. Uh, j- Jonathan Quick was in trade discussions this past season. The Kings were hopeful of getting three assets in return. Um, They were looking at a first, a second, and probably one other asset, a deal very similar to Jake Muzzin. That deal wasn't there because Jonathan Quick's value had deteriorated, probably to the point that two second-round picks probably would have been tough to come by. And that's that's even hard for me to say. 
when you talk about Jonathan Quick and what he's meant to this organization, I still believe he's the best money goalie in the National Hockey League. If I was betting my life on a game seven, Jonathan Quick would be the guy that I would want in net. But can you get the return for a guy who is one of the the four pillars of the last 10 years of this organization? Where do you go with Quick? Where do you go with Campbell? Well, it's interesting you bring up the, the Campbell, the possibility of trading Campbell because the difference in value between Campbell and Quick is there's a gap there, right? So you, if you want to really gather assets, as Rob is continuing to say, you would trade Jonathan Quick. The, and I agree with you, the market's not there. I thought Columbus would have been a nice landing point. And I think maybe if they have a decent start in Columbus and those goalies don't really perform, maybe that's still an option for them, right? So I think that's mm-hmm. one of it. And look, I agree with you, John. You could trade Campbell, leave Quick one more year to mentor Peterson, and then expose him in the expansion draft. And then you get out from under that contract. You have, you would have a championship goalie going out to Seattle to mentor and not for nothing. You know, John doesn't talk a lot and he's a, you know, a, a tough kid from Connecticut, but both Peterson and Campbell speak glowingly about him with respect to helping them and going through navigating what it takes to be an NHL goalie and mentoring them. So he would be a fantastic mentor. I don't think it'd be the level of what Flurry did in Vegas, because at that point, I think John's better days around or past him. But I certainly think that would help the organization. So I could see your point about trading Campbell, keeping quick for one more season, and then doing what you need to do after next season uh, once uh, Cal's probably established as the number one goaltender. Look, we know quick is the ultimate teammate, as you were just speaking about there. It's that health that worries me. And you need the health to be there in order to build that trade value back up. And of all the trades that Rob Blake is going to have to make, that to me is going to be the most difficult one, not only for him, but for the fan base yeah. as well. You know, the, the, the Jeff Carter move, the Jake Muzzin move, as difficult as those pieces might be to move emotionally for management and the fans, that Jonathan Quick trade, I mean, th- that takes an iron stomach to be able to right. pull off that deal. And, and so I, I don't, I don't uh, envy Blake from that standpoint, and I look forward to seeing how that's going to play out there. And uh, we'll certainly be talking about that a lot as the season goes along here. Uh, again, moving along, Dennis, there is so much to cover here. A lot of young players coming into the organization over the next two years. Um, you asked McClellan about his approach to coaching rookies and youngsters, and here's what he had to say. I think that, that youth is exciting. I think that the young players in today's game have uh, way more courage to attempt things, to uh, to not be satisfied with the innate pecking order from old to young. Uh, they're willing to put their game out there uh, a little bit more, but um, they also have to earn their stripes and they have to become uh, and grow up quickly. They have to become professionals. Uh, we use that term often but they got to train properly they got to show their teammates that they're committed to uh, to the game and I think we have some of those players in this organization and um, the youth have to provide that energy that that excitement and the veterans have to nurture the youth so that they can bring them along uh, we all have to reflect back what it was like to to go to our first training camp to play our first game to score our first goal to get our first win and um, sometimes that can be very uh, um, refreshing in my in my mind for some of the older players as well life has a funny way of working out db yeah <laughs> uh the kings did not have the opportunity to hire todd mcclellan as a coach when they brought in willie desjardin at uh, san jose excuse me edmonton still had him behind the bench for about i think a couple weeks uh, but it was shortly after Willie's dismissal that then Todd was, was let go. And within hours of him leaving Edmonton, I tweeted out, that's the guy that the LA Kings yeah. need to hire. I believe it then, and I believe it even more now. He's the perfect coach for this team right now because they're not a totally young team that's going to grow up together and is going to learn to win together like Dallas Eakins has in Anaheim. They're not a veteran team that needs right. that Joel Quinville type coach to come in and sort of, or Daryl Sutter even to help get them over the hump. They're this hybrid team who still has some, some veterans guys that have Stanley cup rings and younger players. And I just think that he's the perfect coach to blend all of that and his familiarity with the Pacific division. And also even with the LA Kings, just the number of games that he's coached against them and their big star players, his presence. I think he just brings so much and it's the perfect hire. Uh, you, you said it's probably the most important move they've made in the last couple of years. You could have got a better. And look, I agree with you, John. Timing, a couple weeks difference, he would have been the coach last season, the finish last season, and they would have been probably more ahead of the curve at this point in time. But you get what you get. I agree with you. I don't think there's a better option, better choice. You know, you talk going back, I think that if you want to look at the coaching situation, I think that we come to the realization that John Stevens is going to be an excellent assistant coach and probably not 
a head coach in this league, right? I don't think he's going to get an opportunity. But to have Todd coming in, who runs the show, who will be organized, I got to think the special teams are going to be better. So I agree with you. I think it was it was a vital move for Rob Blake. I think it was the best move they made. He's made in two seasons. It may not show on wins and losses or point standing. I think a couple of seasons from now, with the potential kids they have in the system, I think they'll be in really good shape. And let's also remember this. Daryl Sutter was not a winner when he came into Los right, Angeles. Exactly. Daryl Sutter left L.A. a winner. And I think Todd McClellan, well, I know Todd McClellan is hoping to one day leave L.A. a, a winner as well. Um, this last clip here, this is going to drive everything home uh, that we've been talking about here. This is Blake talking about laying out the plans. Why was it important for him to lay things out in such detail to the season ticket holders at the state of the franchise? This is what Rob Blake had to say. The process, uh, you know, also – the amateur staff that's been in place here through this one other time. Uh, you know, Mark and Eddie, a lot of you guys are familiar with them, but he's one of the best out there, and, and they need to know that, that, that I'm going to rely heavily on him in the draft. Um, but also they, they had to understand the, the vision that we, we understand we, we've got to build for the future. You know, we, we, we held on, we did what we could, and uh, now it's time to move on. We did what we could, now it's time to move on. He, I mean, that clip almost needs to be played on the loop because it's said <laughs> in passing, but it's, it, those words are so powerful, Dennis, because Kings fans need to understand the mindset of management right now. They did what they could the summer before and getting Kobolchuk yeah, and trying to shot. keep the train rolling. But on December 1st of last year, they, they basically, on that day, they said, enough is enough. We've done everything we could to take this thing as far as we possibly can, and it's time to move forward. And everything that they've done from December 1st forward has been all about the future. It hasn't been about the current and the present. It's been about the future. Um, so I, we probably need to play that at the beginning or at the end of every show because we're <laughs> going to be talking a lot about the plan and sticking to the plan. Right. Um, lots of picks and prospects. We've talked about some of them um, are already on the show, Dennis. And – Let's actually, there is one more clip. I said that was the last clip. We have one more here, which is perfect because it, it transitions us into what's coming up this weekend down in, in Orange County, which is the rookie tournament. Um, there's six teams. They're coming to Orange County. They're the same six teams that were at the tournament last year in Vegas. Uh, but there seems to be a significant advantage to the Anaheim Ducks, 288 games, I believe it is, of NHL yeah. uh, game experience compared to five um, on the LA Kings roster. So is the deck stacked? And what does Blake think about that? Going to head to, to what's yeah. going to happen in Irvine. I mean, I know you don't yeah. want to make too much out of the rookie showcase, no, but I, the team did go 0-3 last yeah. year. And, yeah, it's terrible. And, and Anaheim is really the only team that's bringing guys with NHL experience. Anaheim's like got a really good roster. 280 um, games compared but, but, to five know, NHL games. And, and, and you've got to give Anaheim credit. I mean, there's certain rules put in place for this, you know, whether it's uh, entry-level guys, under 100 games. They've got really good players. And, and they've got players that have played in the NHL. We want to be at that stage, obviously, a year from now. We hope we get these guys in there. Um, but, no, I, I think if you look, two years ago we came in, I thought we had a really good training camp. We came out and we had a real good start in the first ten games. We had a terrible camp last year, rookie camp, main camp, and it carried over into the season. So, yeah, there is uh, there is expectations in, uh, in rookie camp. I know we got a lot of young players, but we got some good young players. They have to go out there and compete. I wish we had more time to follow up on it because, D.B., I want to know what the rules are. The rules have never been published, and you look at the guys that the Kings excluded. Uh, guy, you know, Kale Clegg, for example, is not part of the rookie tournament, and he doesn't have any games of NHL experience. Right. And, he's, and, and Blake's talking about the rules that the Ducks followed. They have guys that have 50 games of NHL experience on their rookie roster, and the game coming up, uh, the, there's, there's going to be uh, three games on Saturday. You'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, last year, the Kings played – Las Vegas, Arizona, and Anaheim. Uh, this year, they're playing the Ducks, the Avalanche, and the Sharks. The Kings went 0-3 last year. The Ducks went 3-0 and in the tournament last year. So, inter interesting game. Game one out of, out of the gates there. Saturday night, 5 o'clock in Irvine. Kings, Ducks. That game's already sold out. Yeah. Um, Sunday afternoon, the Kings take on Colorado. Colorado went 1-2 and two last year, for whatever that matters. Uh, that game is at 1 o'clock on Sunday. You can see the Kings play. The Ducks play the night game at 5 against the Sharks. That should be a great battle. And um, then there's a day off on Monday. Tuesday, the tournament concludes. San Jose against the Kings. That game is at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. So uh, call in sick from work and uh, play, you know, have, have fun, <laughs> play hooky. Uh, San Jose was 2-1 and one last year, and then if you stick around, there's a late game that night uh, immediately following. That's going to be the Ducks versus Vegas. 
so that tournament, we'll, we're going to actually do a show from the tournament, DB. So there's a lot to come there. I want to just talk about Rookie Camp, though, which kicks sure. off heading into that. I, I have things in sort of three groups, okay, at Rookie Camp. I have previous prospects. I have um, Anderson Dolan, Kapari, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akil Thomas, Sodegran, who's coming over from Sweden. So that's, that's the previous group. In the new guy group uh, that I'm excited to take a look at, I have uh, Sammy Fagamo. Uh, yeah. They moved up in the draft to get him. You have Arthur Taliev. Obviously, everybody knows all about Artie. Um, and then you have Bjorn Foot, so those are some of the new guys. And then you have the crazy battle on defense, Mikey Anderson, Sean Dursey, Marcus Phillips, um, Austin Strand. Do any of those three groups get you going? Are you, are you going to focus on either the previous prospects, mm-hmm. the, the Kapari, Anderson, Dolan, the new guys, or the crazy battle on defense? Any of those, any of those groups get you going, DB? Yeah, Fagamo and Kaliev. I want scores. You see the highlights. <laughs> you see, you keep tweeting the uh, Fagamo uh, highlights from Sweden. I mean, the kid can play yeah. and, and already can fill the slot, and he's a Mets fan, but, you know, what are you going to do about that? Um, uh, but, yeah, that's what I'm excited about because I, this team, and, the, and you know, it's funny. I want to go back to what uh, you mentioned, um, Jeff Solomon, and, and the track record of United that he put, put up. I understand that players have made it, and, and, you know, Yank's been one of the best at finding players after the first round. But it's never been that Braden point. It's never been the big, and because it's been the profile of not to draft and take risks with players. Like now they are risking with players because I tell you that I'm not thinking that in the Dean Lombardi era that they draft Artie Kaliev, right? They, they probably would have avoided that because of some questions about character and compete and things of that nature. So that middle group, those potential goal scorers, those are the guys, because I know it. I've seen defensemen come through the system forever. I've covered this team for 20 years. I want the exciting out-of-the-box players, and those are the, that middle group that you mentioned. Beyond Foot's going to be really solid defenseman. That's a nice pick at 22. But those two forwards, that that's what excites me coming into training camp, seeing those two kids uh, display their talents. Yeah, it was nice to see Mark Unetti getting so much uh, love from Rob Blake and the entire staff, uh, Glenn Murray, Nelson Emerson, and so on, yeah. um, that night on stage, because Unetti is that guy behind the scenes that the diehard fans know who he is, but you know, casual season ticket holders, um, probably don't know how good Mark Yannetti and that staff, uh, the amateur staff, really is. So one of the things that Blake mentioned about Yannetti, too, is that what makes him so good is his, his ability or interest, desire to change, and that he's constantly evolving. So you're right, under Lombardi, with him as the general manager, they wanted a specific type of player. And Yannetti and staff did a great job of identifying and finding okay. and bringing in yeah. those players whether it was, you know, uh, Wayne Simmons or whoever, uh, Kyle Clifford. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Now, with this new general manager and this new group, that there's a change in the philosophy, an updated, you know, version of that as they recreate L.A., plug, plug, um, <laughs> as they recreate L.A., and Yanetti is on board with that and is finding the way, and his staff, again, it's not all Mark, it's, it's plenty of other guys underneath him, including Christian Rutu and, you know, Tony Gasparini and all, the whole team. Um, they're adapting and they're finding those players, and what an exciting draft this was. It could be... Agreed really a franchise defining draft and it's um Kaliev I do want to mention one thing though because fans uh don't always understand the rules here Kaliev is either in the OHL next season so let me back up this season he's going back to the Ontario Hockey League he will not be with the LA Kings doesn't matter if he scores 100 goals in the preseason (laughs) he's going back to the O next year it's either NHL or OHL for the rules he cannot play in the American League that's going to be very interesting because most likely he's going to end up in the Ontario Hockey League again next year which is why I say keep an eye on Kaliev at the OHL trade deadline wouldn't be surprised to see him Mm -hmm. move uh because a team is most likely going to be getting him for more than one season, not just for right. a Memorial Cup run this year. So something to keep an eye on there. And uh, Sammy Fagamo is expected to go back to Sweden this year for one more year. Blake just wanted patience. him here in camp. Patience. Uh, yeah, patience. patience. He will be here. But, DB, I know, you get all, I know you get all excited for these goal scores. So last thing <laughs> on the way out the door here, DB, that I'd like to promote, we have this new King of Kings tournament that's coming to Mayor's Manor. We're going to be promoting it via social media. It's a 32-player, 32 32 not 32 teams, 32-player uh, tournament where we're going to let the fans decide who is the ultimate King of Kings. And just listen to some of these first-round matchups, DB. The full bracket's going to be up on Mayor's Manor. But you have Great. Ziggy Palfy versus Mark Hardy. <laughs> Okay. 
Bernie Nichols versus Tony Granado. That's that's a barn that's burner a right there. Win. I mean, I, I, that that's going to be a fifty-one forty-nine vote. I think Bernie Nichols versus Tony Granado. How about this one, DD? Jonathan Quick versus Justin Williams. Oh, Whew. heartstrings. That's oh a, boy, that's yeah, a tough one. That's that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough, right? Two con Smythe winners. Uh, you have Rob Blake versus Marty McSorley. You have Kopitar versus Froloff. And then here's a real Sophie's choice for me personally. <laughs> Round one, right out of the gate, DB, you get Tomas Sandstrom versus Kyle Clifford. I, oh, John, how you? Go, you I just, can't. I can't. I don't you can't make a choice. I can't. You're gonna I have can't. to defer. Take it's a, a buy. Choice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it's, yeah, the both. Just let them both advance. I don't know. It'll be a three-way <laughs> triple threat match in the second round. All right, uh, DB. It's been a long episode. It's yes. been a great episode. We we, we hope that the uh, listeners have enjoyed it. Any final comments as we uh, sound off? Here yeah. Today? So just a promo for me. Um, we're in conversations with uh, Peter Burst. We'll be bringing back uh, SiriusXM this uh, this season, Saturday show, probably called off the rush again. Uh, Dave and I will be co Dave Pagnon and I will be co-hosting probably the same time segment, 11 to 1. Certainly you'll be on and we'll plug the crap out of this uh, the podcast. But uh, we're probably going to start um, late September, early October. We're already talking to uh, the New Jersey Devils about... Um, having them host us for one of the shows uh, in October. Uh, they play an afternoon game against Vancouver, I think, third week of October. So look out for that. Fourthperiod.com, just getting rolling rumors, speculation, Ben Hutton signings. You want it, you got it there. So uh, uh, so just a, just a continuation of what we've been doing. We are going to bring back the magazine in full force. Um, I've been writing a couple articles for it. So just the, the standard stuff that you see from TFP. And John, um, couldn't think of a better partner to start this project with. Uh, it's going to be awesome all season. All right, so we, we just gave you guys more than an hour of our time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears. Now we need you to do the same for us in return. If you like Kings of the Podcast, tweet it, retweet it, tell all your friends. Let's get the listenership uh, to build here uh, as we head throughout the season. Episode one is in the books. Episode two coming up from Irvine at the uh, NHL Rookie Faceoff. We're out of here, DB. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.